Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. And this week, my colleague George and I are talking to David Weston, who is CEO of the Teacher Development Trust. Talking about the work that David and his colleagues have done, looking at research and evidence about teacher working conditions from all sorts of countries across the world to really understand the impact that working conditions have on things like how effective CPD is, um, but also student outcomes and school improvement. And we'll be talking about that in, in some detail in the podcast. So a lot to think about here in terms of professional learning and leadership. Um, it's a really exciting time for CPD, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast with the introduction of the Early Career Framework, the new suite of MPQs um, uh, that are launching in September and changes to initial teacher training. Um, also, the pandemic has, has increased the amount of, of CPD available to people and people working, learning, collect, connecting and collaborating in lots of different ways. So I'm sure a lot of people will be interested to hear David's thoughts on that. And as ever, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, uh, today we're with David Weston, who is CEO of the Teacher Development Trust. Hi, David. Hello, thank you so much for having me on again. Oh, it's great to talk to you. And my colleague, George Agara-Martins, uh, who will be joining us for a conversation with David about um, his work on a culture of improvement, reviewing the research on teacher working conditions. Um, so David, um, great to have you back on the podcast. We always, we always like it when people come back. Can you tell us a little bit about what TDT have been up to since we last spoke? Well, it's a pleasure to be back and it's been a very exciting time. I mean, obviously we've all been contending with the delights of COVID, but in that time, we at TDT have been doing lots of really exciting things. Uh, you've already mentioned one of them, which is that we have a new research review out. Um, we decided that we wanted to really dig into all of the studies we could find around the world. What do we know really makes the sorts of schools where teachers get better? Um, and that links to lots of the other work we've been doing recently, um, continuing our work with lots of schools, helping them review how effectively they're leading professional learning at the moment, and then working with them over time, connecting them with other schools, training them in things like coaching and collaborative inquiry and leading CPD teaching and learning. And then most recently, and very excitingly, just a few weeks ago, uh, it was finally announced after many months of work that the Teacher Development Trust will be one of the new lead NPQ providers, so the national professional qualifications for leaders at all levels. And this is a really exciting suite of new qualifications, um, everything from new specialist qualifications for people, for example, leading teaching and curriculum or leading teacher development or leading behaviour and culture, through to the more traditional ones for senior leaders, head teachers and executive leaders. And, and in fact, right now we're just... Uh, going out and finding our local delivery partners to work out where we'll be able to deliver this. And then from the autumn, people will be able to sign up for the new TDT NPQs, which is really exciting. Indeed, really exciting. And 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 kind of 
as you've identified there, obviously the, the new MPQs coming out, the early career framework um, coming into force in September. Um, it, it does feel like there's been, um, you know, it's a really been a really important time for recognition of the importance of professional development in, in, in teaching. Uh, but obviously, this this it comes at a tricky point. Um, for, well, for everybody, but particularly for for schools, um, having uh, suffered the 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 impacts of the pandemic in the way that they have. Um, what? How has um, CPD and and your work to support schools been changing um, um, across the the kind of uh, the course of of various partial school closures? I mean, what a great question. Uh, firstly, as you alluded to, more and more people are thinking about professional learning, whether it's um, school leaders or whether it's government. Um, and in fact, we were just reflecting the other day that when the Teacher Development Trust started back in 2012, we had a conversation with someone at the DfE saying, well, what is your policy on CPD? And it took ages for them to come back with an answer. And they said, we're not really sure. We guess it's probably teaching schools and head teachers just get on with it. Whereas now, you know, you're finding the Minister for Schools, you're finding the Secretary of State saying professional development is the most important thing we can be thinking about right now. So the landscape has really shifted. And of course, a massive, massive impact from COVID. So many interesting changes as a result. Uh, first of all, a lot more self-led professional development. Uh, lots of staff were given opportunities just to say, look, there's nothing specified for you but we're going to give you a list of resources and ideas and you can go away and learn and there have been so many stories of people who came back really energized and saying it was lovely actually to have the opportunity to go and pursue my own learning and my own choices and a number of um, cases we've we've heard about teaching assistants who perhaps had felt you know, second-class citizens when it came to prioritizing CPD but I heard of uh, schools where teaching assistants were coming back and saying, we never want to go back to the old way. This is great. And they were getting in touch, you know, via WhatsApp or Facebook with each other and saying, I've heard this. Have you heard? Let's get together and talk about it. So that sense of what should we say? Agency over professional learning was important. I think the second one was as so many training providers stepped up and shifted so much more of their work online and not just you know, turning things into webinars, but asynchronous learning, the ability to go on and study at your own time and mix that in a blended way with face-to-face uh, -face or virtual sessions. And so many schools have said to me, it's been an absolute delight, particularly for those of us way outside London, um, not to have to factor in, you know, an overnight stay in enormous train journeys, and we can get really good value now. I think the third one, I don't know how long lasting a trend it will be, but during COVID, nearly every education advisor, every senior leader who ever went to help people just decided to do things for free. They saw teachers and school leaders going through the biggest change I think mean, you know we've we've ever had to deal with in the education system and said, look, just take this, anything you want. And there are now hundreds of recorded sessions from anything from you know research eds to the sessions done by Chilton Learning Trust. We were doing some at the TDT Chartered College. And I think there's a lot of material out there, which means people's expectations now has to be, it can't just be getting a big name in, it has to be interactivity, it has to be more bespoke, which is not a bad thing, although I worry slightly of the sustainability of people, you know, thinking that everything needs to be free, that will have an impact on quality at some point. 
So yeah, loads of changes. Um, it's been very interesting seeing how leaders have changed their thinking. There were points where they've been operationally 120%, you know, just way more than their capacity, really focusing on that. And other times when, well, things have achieved almost a sort of steady state and they've been not twiddling their thumbs, but thinking, oh my goodness, I need to think about the longer term now. And almost all of them have said, it's got to be about professional development in the longer term. And so we've seen real waves of activity from, oh my goodness, don't speak to us for two months, please, we're too busy, to we really want to talk to you about long-term strategy and how we develop our staff in the long-term. So really fascinating journey and bring all that together with all of the new support for early career teachers and new core content frameworks for initial teacher education and new NPQs. Um, I think it's a very exciting time and I strongly suspect we're gonna hear more from government, um, particularly with the influence of Sir Kevin Collins as the sort of, you know, the national catch up czar, as you like, uh, if you like. And I know he really values professional development as really cool. So, so many changes, really, really important time. I think we'll look back on this as a, a really big moment in the history of teacher education and support. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, obviously the sort of, you know, am ambition and TDT, you know, Chartered College and many others really kind of leading the charge there. But it, you know, a the this move to remote and you know not suggesting that there has been kind of acres of space and time for people to to do things um you know out of their normal day jobs but there has been a bit of as you say ability to do things asynchronously more flexibility in timetables and these kinds of things with children out of school that has actually given given life to to some of these things and actually made it made it real for people they've seen what's possible and it and it feels like the momentum and the, the progress is only going to continue rather than people go you know oh, well that was just then and now we do something different so yeah it it, it it does feel like um you know people often say you know don't don't waste a good crisis but it does it does kind of feel a bit like you know elements of of, of the, the pandemic have have really helped um accelerate some of that activity or maybe that's just my yeah. perception i agree and in fact we did one of our uh, CPD Connect Up webinars um, exploring lessons around educational technology, for example. And so many head teachers said, don't think of this as an entirely deficit situation. We've all learned things which we won't let go. We've learned new ways to engage with our parents and families. We've learned new ways to be more flexible with our colleagues who work in school. We've learned new ways to communicate with each other. And there are so many positives to bring through. That said, I have also seen schools really struggling because they, in many cases, dropped their existing priorities and said, we need to focus on helping you do remote teaching and learning or helping you navigate smaller groups in school or dealing with well-being and mental health issues or physical health issues and training in, you know, swabbing and lateral flow tests and all those sorts of things. And many of them are coming back saying, well, it was great to be led by staff demand there, but now we're not sure. Should we try and stay on track with where we were? Should we almost repeat the year? Um, do we suddenly focus back on impending Ofsted inspections that are going to be restarting really soon? Um, do we focus on well-being and mental health to try and help people and support them? Or do we rush straight back into you know, your core pedagogy? And this at a time when people are sort of getting a bit of re-entry shock, some of the additional routines 
that people have to perform as a result of the health and safety issues and bubbles are quite exhausting. And that's tough. You know, I think lots of people have said, well, it's, it's a bit of a shock to go back into school. And it's a bit of a shock then to deal with all these unfamiliar things and engaging in my class in a different way. And maybe my classrooms are set up differently. And there is this struggle then. Do, how do I combine all of these things together? And it comes back as ever, people saying, we just don't have enough time. We just don't have enough time to find, to do everything we want to do. Um, that said, Caroline, there are um, just today, in fact, um, on the day we're recording this, um, we're, we're publishing a, a new blog from our new, very exciting research advisor, Dr. Sam Sims. And um, exclusively for us, I get very excited to be able to say that, he's just done an analysis of the OECD's TALIS data, that's the Teaching and Learning International Survey. And essentially he's found that if you look internationally, then the more um, teachers are given an opportunity to collaborate together, and the more professional development time they give together, um, then that's got a strong association with reduced stress, improved well-being. Um, so actually, it's not that people are saying, oh, no, if I do more CPD, it will stress people out. Actually, the right sorts of collaboration, the right sorts of professional learning, the right environment is actually going to help people here to acclimatise to the new situation and sort of get their groove back and really enjoy being back in the classroom and back in school. But, um, you know, and this is obviously something that I think, you know, we've talked about before as well. You know, it's it's the it's the contrast, isn't it, between the kind of like 4, 4 p.m. staff meeting on some, you know, same topic for everybody. You know, people who've been doing it 20 years aren't interested, you know, et cetera. Um, and actually, what do you what challenges are you looking to solve? What areas are you looking to develop? How can you collaborate on, you know, planning, etc. And actually do spend that time in a really useful way for, for you and your your learning um, versus, you know, and just just kind of filling, filling, filling people's diaries and making them feel feel under pressure. Um, but um, yeah, the the video actually that you that you did with um, Sam, um, along alongside the report, which we'll kind of move on to now, is a is a really um, great resource, especially if you're you're someone like me on the kind of edges of understanding um, research, um, because it is a really helpful discussion for understanding kind of um, the subtleties of of the studies that that went into um, the the review that you've done. So, can you tell us a bit about about the idea for the report and sort of how it how it came about? Absolutely. This um, is a piece of work we wanted to do for quite a long time, and um, it eventually came about as a piece of work that we did with the Wellcome Trust. They have, for a number of years, been funding some fascinating studies um, into teacher development, whether their work on subject-specific professional development and its value, um, but in particular, uh, they have been running what's called the CPD Challenge, where they worked with uh, a group of schools um, and each of them was given some support and some resources to ensure that they had at least 35 hours of high quality CPD for every teacher every single year. And high quality was defined as the sorts of things that are sustained over time and have opportunities for collaboration and are really focused on impact on pupils. And, you know, lots of those key ideas, so lots of collaboration, but importantly, at least half of it had to be focused on specific subjects and topics and not just sort of generic teaching. 
And they had some really fantastic results out of that. The schools really loved the process. They actually didn't find it too difficult to find that time, and many of them went beyond that amount of time. And we brought that together with the work that um, we'd been doing with our schools and also through the DfE funded TLIF project where we had our CPD excellence hubs and again working with schools across the country, helping their leaders find time and space for the right sorts of professional learning. So it was very clear to us that the make or break in many situations is not the sort of CPD process. It's not saying, oh, I want to do coaching or I want to do lesson study. It's the conditions and the leadership in those schools that seem to make the difference between teachers saying, I love it, I want to do it, and actually improving, versus, oh, it's just another thing, you know, just another job to do, and it doesn't feel relevant, and so on. So we decided that, um, despite the fact we've often quoted a number of these studies individually, it was time to do more of a review. And we worked with the Wellcome Trust to set up an event in November where we brought together some sort of system leaders from across the country and we presented our first working paper at that, at that stage. And the process of creating it then was um, finding all of the studies where there was a quantitative link between what teachers said about the environment they worked in and the results they were achieving for pupils. Now there are hundreds more studies where there are links between what teachers say about their environment and for example, their well-being or retention but we said, okay, that is of course important, but we're gonna really focus on the links between the environment and working conditions for teachers and the impact that's had on the young people in our schools. So uh, we eventually found um, 14 studies, 14 quantitative studies that met that, that criteria, met those criteria. Um, and they were very interesting, mainly from the USA, in fact, because a lot of the, um, the great uh, statistical analysis is from there, but we found um, one from Australia, we found one from a group of international schools across uh, Cambodia, Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam. That was really interesting. And then we cross-referenced with some of the best reviews of the leadership literature in schools, uh, cross-referenced that on the same um, impact of those conditions, but on staff retention and well-being. And then also there were just a, a couple of papers that looked at the impact more recently on COVID resilience, if you like, how well people had responded. So really fascinating study and Caroline, I will completely admit that myself, uh, my two colleagues, Beth and Hindley and Maria Cunningham, as we got into this, we were in nerd heaven. <laughs> we were just having the best time reading all of these papers, summarizing them and then coding the findings and then bringing it all together. It was just so much fun. That's a lovely image. <laughs> um, cool. Um, well, it, it, it would be really interesting, I think, to to talk in a bit more detail about your sort of, you know, overall kind of conclusion and and some of the the key findings, if, if that's possible. Absolutely. Um, what we tried to do was, first of all, answer the general question, is there a link between working conditions and pupil outcomes? Um, and then we dug into sort of some of the other findings. Um, I suppose it's worth saying that we didn't try and do this as a full systematic review. Um, that takes a very long time and um, you really have to scour hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of papers. Um, what we did instead was to say, right, let's ask all of the top researchers in the field and then look for the links from any of those papers to other papers and do some lighter touch searching. So I'm not going to claim this is all of the findings that are out there, but 
from the findings we did gather together, which we think probably represents most of those studies, um, we can say that the quality of teachers working conditions is strongly associated with student attainment. And what we're saying is there's tentative signs of a causal link. Because you've got to be careful here, because it might well be that as students start achieving better, teachers feel happier and they report more positively about their working conditions. And you've got to be very careful. So you can always see that there could be an association with the two. But what we said is there are tentative signs of a causal link. Um, and that's because there were some studies where you could see that the teacher working conditions improvement preceded the improvement in student outcomes. Um, and some of these were carried up over a number of years. Um, in other cases, uh, they looked at different sort of potential causal mechanisms and they tested, well, if you imagined that it was the student improvement impacting the working conditions, let's test that model statistically. And, and in a few cases, they found, no, that doesn't seem to have any impact. And by bringing those elements together, plus understanding that there is a very plausible link from the other literature, we're able to say we can be reasonably certain that there is some link that goes from working conditions to student attainment, but of course there will be a, a reverse link as well. So we're, we're mainly saying there is an association, but it seems definitely something that's useful for leaders to look at. So that was sort of big finding number one, and it's actually a really big effect. Um, one of the most commonly quoted papers, which was one of the, the big 14 that we looked at, is one by Matt Craft and John Pape from um, 2014. And they said, um, on average, teachers working in schools at the 75th percentile, that's high, of uh, professional environment ratings, improved 38% more than teachers in schools at the 25th percent, um, 25th percentile after 10 years. So being in a school with really great working conditions versus being in a school with not such good working conditions could mean the difference between sort of 40% more progress you're making for your children year on year. And that's school improvement right there. Um, so, uh, you know, worth reflecting that it's a big effect. Uh, it's very important. And therefore, you need to then begin to say, OK, what do we mean? You can't just say working conditions. You can't just say culture. We need to define it a bit more. So we went on to identify five key areas that seemed to be pretty common across. Now, um, as you saw in that video, Caroline, um, Sam Sims describes this beautifully about this is, these are quite hard studies to do. He calls it the jingle jangle fallacy, which I just think is fantastic. So sometimes you've got two researchers using the same word, but they actually mean different things. And in other cases, you've got two researchers using different words, but they mean the same things. So when you're analyzing this, if someone says culture or professional development, you can't just say, great, they mean the same. You kind of have to dig into it a bit and say, wait, did you mean the same? Did you mean different? Um, so it makes it a bit complicated, but um, we reflected that the things that make a difference are opportunities for teachers to collaborate. Um, not just, you know, let's have another meeting, but genuine collaboration. And it, it seemed to be best when it was focused on uh, curriculum design, lesson design, uh, assessing things together, connecting those conversations. So, oh, what does that assessment tell us about our curriculum design and how we need to plan the next lesson, for example? Um, the second thing was involvement. So ensuring that teachers felt involved in whole school planning. And that seemed to be related to the sense of buy-in, ownership, 
if I understand where we're going, I can make my decisions aligned to that and I feel more of a sense of being involved. Uh, the third one is um, what we said, a culture of trust, respect and enthusiasm where communication is open and honest. And that, again, lots of different definitions across the different studies, but very, very commonly teachers in schools where they say we trust each other more, we're more open, we seem to have better communication with each other it's consistently associated with a more improvement in student outcomes. Um, the fourth one is shared mission and expectations. So we all have a strong sense of where we're going to um, and expectations of what's possible. So you, you tend to find that in schools that are improving. There is a much greater sense that here is what um, students could achieve if we, you know, we work really hard. Um, rather than some people saying that's not possible or, well, we wouldn't even want to achieve that. So being on the same page in terms of where we're trying to get to. Um, and then the final one, I think really importantly, is safe, calm, you could say disruption-free classrooms where not only children feel, well, I can learn without being worried about being bullied or loads of people constantly interrupting the learning and my concentration and, you know, without worrying that people are going to be shouting out and, um, distracting me but also for the teachers where teachers don't think oh my goodness I have to deal, deal with low level disruption but where they say oh actually I feel safe and secure enough to try something new so that sense of safety and ability to get on and you know focus on the main thing seemed to be really important so yeah those those were the sort of the five big elements of working conditions um, and, and I suppose related to that was also um, not so much working conditions, but around how teachers were distributed. So turns out that if I'm a new teacher, I'm more likely to get better if I work alongside an experienced teacher, uh, particularly if we're teaching similar topics or classes or phases or year groups. Um, and the more we get to collaborate, the more I'm likely to sort of benefit from that wisdom of my colleague. Um, and then also I'm more likely to improve if say for two or three years in a row, I'm teaching very similar topics, similar classes, because then I can accumulate wisdom and experience over time rather than, you know, this year I'm teaching year seven maths, next year I'm teaching year 11 PE, and the following year I'm doing a bit of drama and IT. You know, it's, it's much harder to accumulate wisdom and experience over time. So yeah, there's just a few, I mean, there's more, but it's, we just found so much really important stuff. I, I mean, I'm a bit biased, aren't I? <laughs> um, no, that's, that's fantastic. George, was there a question that you wanted to ask based on the findings? Not so much necessarily the findings, but more looking at the, the, um, the curriculum learning by CDT um, and looking at the key curriculum themes. And we've mentioned earlier and spoke at great length about the shifting of the landscape and TAs now feeling a bit more, not necessarily appreciated, but more encouraged, not so much of the second class citizen uh, vibe that they were that they were experiencing. But I know that on the key curriculum themes, that the fifth and final one is sort of self-management and self-awareness. And as in so many careers, when you do begin, you often look for someone to lead you. But I think in the pandemic, people have had to sort of own their own time more. And do you think that there is sort of a feeling within the sector that with respect to sort of CPD and development, the onus has almost shifted, not necessarily from... The senior leadership team to provide it but for you to sort of identify what it is you want to work on in your own time and then take that to them well that's really interesting this sense that to be an effective professional you need to be able to manage yourself 
I think partly relates to working conditions in which you're able to do that. So, uh, and this is absolutely true of teachers, of teaching assistants, of administrative staff, of site staff, that you are more likely to flourish if you are on the same page with everybody else about what you have to do, uh, what you're allowed to do, what others are going to do, what your responsibilities are, where there's great communication to work with other people, where you're really clear that you feel trusted to feed into the big vision and the priorities, where you get opportunities to work together with other people, to uh, collaborate on things together. And within that, when you're given that space, you then need the abilities, the skills to manage your time, to manage your priorities and make sure that you're keeping yourself in balance and you're able to prioritize all of the hundreds of things that you then want to do and that people are potentially asking you for help on. So that's an important direction of travel. And in so many cases, we find school leaders are pouring energy into trying to direct people to do the right things or sometimes trying to hold them account to do the right things and are feeling this huge sense of resistance coming back or this lack of momentum and they just think oh my goodness it's what you know why is no one moving forward and their response in some cases is to say i want to up the pressure i want to maybe you know be more have do more monitoring and more checking check-ins but actually, I think the literature would suggest that if they're going in that direction, then at that stage, we need to just stand back a minute and say, so why is it that these colleagues are not naturally driving themselves forward in this area? How could we use these working conditions that we know make a difference and try and help more people own the direction of travel and own the shared expectations and own the conversations they need to have to get the work done and then make sure people have enough opportunity to get support from colleagues and professional learning opportunities to give them the skills to do it so that could be the mentoring the coaching the more formal courses so that curriculum theme that you mentioned there george which is one of the ones from our new npq suite really links here because by empowering people to within the right conditions and the skills to manage themselves, that's how we create the sorts of spaces where leaders feel actually, I'm sort of standing back here and I'm watching everybody just get on with it. And all I need to do is maybe go in and tweak and encourage. And I can think about working on the system and make it work even better for everybody rather than constantly working in the system, directing like a sort of a, a, a traffic cop, if you like. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, and it, uh, there's, you can see the link between how people view themselves and these working conditions and how the leadership can enable all those pieces. Um, and in fact, interestingly enough, when leaders create those conditions for people to flourish and you know, have, have that ownership in a sense, then we found in this paper that these same conditions are linked with improvements in student outcomes, they're linked with improvements in staff morale, they're linked with improvements in school turnaround. So schools are much more likely to sustainably improve over time with these conditions. And also, as I alluded to earlier, schools with those conditions seemed more likely to deal with COVID better because staff had that resilience. They already had the sense of how we work together and what we're trying to achieve. It needed sort of, there, there was more agility in the system and more flexibility and more ownership in the system for everyone to roll their sleeves up and problem solve together. 
because they were more on the same page. So yeah, I think that's a really important point, um, bringing those things together. And actually that gives me a lovely segue here actually into why we've then designed our NPQs the way we have. Um, and we've put collaboration, communication, uh, team alignment, uh, problem solving, understanding change, and understanding yourself right at the core of our leadership work. Um, and we've been doing this for a while through our CBD leadership course and other training, but now we want to allow more school leaders to really never have to have that problem of saying, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared for the real reality of dealing with people and dealing with change um, and help them just, you know, stand back and analyze it all and figure out what, what changes they really need to make. And that's, I mean, that's, that's really, that's really helpful to, to understand, as you say, the, the connection there. And I, I, I'm sort of fascinated by the, the concept of, um, of kind of culture or working conditions as as you will it's funny when you when you say working conditions it i don't know in my head it makes me think of sort of you know base expectations you know of of you know what you could what you can expect sort of by law almost but you know we can it would be interested to to hear more about the the terminology because i know that's a kind of um complexity uh, to to your work there but do you, do you you know is is it your sense that there's um, a growing trend and and body of evidence for really sort of unpicking what we mean about these things in a school context? Because I think there can often be a sort of sense of the job is teaching, and you know, and it's pretty similar in lots of places. And those of us who who work across a lots of different schools um, would, would say, well, it, it can be quite different. Um, yeah. so what, what is your, what is your sense there? Do you think that that's, that, that, that is becoming better understood and, and, and there's more sort of analysis to support people thinking about kind of what kind of school they want to work in or what kind of school they want to lead? I think, I think so. I think that's a really important point. Um, I mean, there's a, there's always been a sense in which people are worried that if you focus too much on the CPD, then people can't get on with the job, right? Um, so we were reflecting on this a little bit in TDT and saying, well, in order for children to succeed, then they need to be able to, perhaps I'll say the word thrive. So they need to be able to be sort of comfortable. They need to be able to engage with the routines, engage with peers, engage with teachers, um, have that sort of level of self-confidence to enable them to actually engage in the, the business of schooling. And they've got to learn. Um, but you can't really have one without the other. You're unlikely to learn if you're not able to thrive in school. And if you're only thriving in school, but you're not learning, that's also not likely to work very well either. So um, that really then says, OK, well, how do we create the best learning and how do we create the best thriving? And that goes to the academic and the pastoral sides, if you like. Um, but when we look, even if we break down the how do we get students to learn? Well, that needs teachers to be thriving in their practice. They need to be able to practice well, have the right conditions, have the resources, the time, the support, and they need to be learning. Because if we have teachers just teaching and not learning, then the new challenges, they won't be able to meet and they won't be getting better. And we won't be helping children learn more next year than this year. Um, and they won't be able to take on new challenges. Um, but similarly, if they're just learning lots of things, but they're not actually able to really thrive in their professional practice, that's a problem. So, you know, by having these concepts together, it sort of helps us think about 
be quite specific about what we're trying to do in our leadership. We need to create the conditions for children to learn and to thrive and teachers to learn and teachers to thrive. And a lot of these working conditions we talk about really look at across a lot of those areas. Um, but if we're more clear about the purpose, it helps us understand what we're trying to do, I think. And do you do you have plans to do more more research in this area as um, as time goes on? Absolutely. Um, we, we at the minute we're calling our paper a working paper, in as much as it's out there for debate and discussion and critique. Um, you know, we'd actually love people to say, "Well, it's not as good as it could be because," or you know, "You've made a mistake in this analysis. You've done that because by opening up to critique." Um, and people saying, oh, you've been too over optimistic or, you know, you've put your own biases on that paper. It makes it much more robust, actually. People challenging is really helpful. Um, and it's actually one of the reasons why we really love working with Dr. Sam Sims, because, in fact, we um, commissioned and published a paper six years ago now, uh, the Developing Great Teaching Review. And it was uh, Sam and his colleague, Harry Fletcher Wood, who uh, is now at Ambition. Um, who published a very, very thoughtful critique about uh, the, the certainty, the definitions, various other things, which has actually helped sharpen the whole field. So that's what we're looking for. So we'll be evolving this paper. Um, we're looking to do more research into the findings we're generating ourselves. We've now worked with hundreds of schools where we've surveyed their staff on multiple occasions over years. We've interviewed staff over the years. We've um, been exploring how their policies and procedures and processes have shifted over the years and we're going to be uh, doing more research on what we found from those findings uh, when you take everything together if you aggregate it all so that's quite exciting um, we're certainly looking more at summarizing leadership research and fusing together the people skills the specific knowledge you need about different areas of school leadership and the more general knowledge about leadership and how you fuse that together with your self-knowledge to create really effective leadership because there's a fascinating debate and, and an overdue one about what the leaders need to know uh, and rightfully a criticism that sometimes leadership's been a bit you know know your leadership style here's some generic ideas about change and teams and things and that's enough and actually we need school leaders to know the details about great curriculums and what a great maths curriculum looks like at, in key stage one or key stage four and you know how you deal with the hr issues specific to schools and how you create and balance the school budget you know people need that information and not just generic leadership but you know it comes together so we're going to try and publish more research on those areas um in general, Caroline, the more opportunities that we get to nerd out and read papers and interpret them and summarise them and make them really accessible to people working day in, day out in schools, then we're always going to put the chance to do that because we love it. Well, that's that's good good to hear, and um, we are all we are all grateful to you for your for your sterling work in in making these things more accessible to to those of us who 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 don't um, who don't have the uh, the ability to to nerd out in, in quite the same way. Um, and uh, yes, so uh, is there anything you'd like to um, tell our listeners about uh, anything more about the MPQ um, program and and where they can go to learn more? Absolutely. Well, all of everything I've spoken of is all on our website, which is at tdtrust.org. That's Tango Delta Tango at the beginning. At tdtrust.org. Then it's slash NPQs, NPQS. 
uh, if you want to find out about our new leadership offers, um, if you want to find out about the paper I've mentioned, then it's slash COI for culture of improvement. Um, and if you go to slash blog, then you can see our recent blogs, including the one which I'm about to hit publish on when I finish this recording uh, from Dr. Sam Sims with this these lovely new findings about the relationship between the amount of teamwork and the amount of CPD and improvements in teacher morale. Fabulous stuff. And we will also pop those uh, links in the, in the notes as well. Uh, um, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners in closing? Well, I would just encourage everyone listening to try and find a moment in an evening, in the weekend, in the bath, just stand back and think a little bit about how am I creating the conditions for my staff to thrive in their professional practice and to learn. And then if you want more reading and more ideas, come to our website, have a look. Or if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, we're at Teacher Dev Trust, or I'm personally at informed underscore edu for a stupid historical reason that I now regret, but that's my Twitter handle. I mean, it's it's better than mine, which is like putting in lots of underscores into my initials so no one else had it. I just did totally the wrong thing with Twitter. We all went through <laughs> through some strange social media choices early on, but we live with them. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. Well, thank you so much, David, because I know how busy you are with all this exciting new work. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Um, and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to Act. Members of the Key for School leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe, or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.